In a world where it seems totally normal to listen to a podcast about the Toronto Argonauts, it's the X's and Argos podcast. Welcome to the X's and Argos post-game reaction podcast brought to you by Funny Bone Broth. My name is Ben Grant, joined as always by JB as the Toronto Argonauts clinch a playoff spot with a 45 to 15 hammering of the Ottawa Red Blacks in what was the most dominant Toronto Argonauts performance since 2017. There was an August game against the Alouettes that they won by 32, which slightly outdoes this performance, but it was just, this was, this was not even a game after a pretty slow start. Nothing, nothing at the end of the first quarter, still pretty tight at halftime. And then the Argos just ran away with it. This, we kind of forget about the first quarter, I guess, JB, but this was as complete a victory at the end of the day as you can have. Yeah, they just dominated. Even the first quarter, while Toronto didn't score, Toronto still dominated the first quarter. They moved the ball really well. Uh, they kept Ottawa in check. It was. It looked like what it should look like. It looked like a first-place team uh, taking care of business against a last-place team, and uh, and the Argos flexed their muscles. It was really impressive to watch. And it's it was it was sort of like expected in a way like we both had Toronto winning big, but our big was like up 17 Ottawa scores a touchdown in garbage time and, you know, makes it a 10 point game. I don't think we saw this coming, though. No, no. Well, I mean, I didn't expect Ottawa to turn it over that many times. Um, But yeah, it was it was this. This is a Toronto defense that is getting healthier. Um, They are gaining in confidence. They are getting more at home with the scheme and I think the rest of the CFL should be concerned about how good that Toronto defense looked tonight yeah for sure and and just the team in general and I know we've talked about this a lot because you look at the Toronto roster and it's stacked and we know it because we cover the team and Toronto fans are aware of it but because the Argonauts have been unable to put together a full game or unable to have a, a game where both the offense and defense are playing extremely well to the level that they're capable, the rest of the league really hasn't seen it much. And there's this narrative of, yeah, well, the East is garbage, and so Toronto, yeah, sure, they're first, but who wouldn't be? And, you know, what they don't see is the performance you saw today, that has got to turn a couple of heads. Yeah, and, yeah I mean, oof. the TSN broadcasters still don't really give Toronto much respect. And, uh, you know, they're not talked about in the same breath as BC was or or Winnipeg is. And I I don't think they're right there, but they're definitely close. I don't think there's any reason to not regard Toronto as one of the three best teams in the CFL. And um, they're not, by and large, by media. And, uh, yeah, we'll see if tonight changes... uh, changes any minds over a three down and it probably won't just because it's because it's ottawa right if this happens against another team but but i'm telling you the way the the way the argonauts were playing tonight there's not a team in the league that would beat them playing at this level we we saw toronto play not nearly as well as this and go toe-to-toe with winnipeg even even winnipeg is not beating the argos on a night like tonight and so that's they they need to find a way to harness that Let's go through the the game chronologically and see what we uh, can kind of point out in this this postgame that's a lot more fun to do when you have a a 30-point win. That first quarter, while there wasn't any scoring, 
I thought there were a couple interesting things. What it looked like to me is that the Argos game plan was going to be very run heavy in this game. They obviously saw something they really liked on film and they tried some things that I hadn't seen before. They did. They had a power run that they they tried early on. There was a a run play where Blake uh, playing left tackle pulled over to the right side and led up between guard tackle uh, for a really nice gain. They, They were doing some interesting things there and even plays that didn't result in a run were supposed to be like the opening play of the game and i'm glad this didn't become a talking point but they couldn't have started off much more rough than they did uh Hadel, um mishandling a kickoff to start the game and then mcleod bethel thompson and the offense trot out and get a delay of game penalty but but even that play that was supposed to be a run mcleod saw cover one and he checked to something that he he obviously wanted to go to they didn't have the run look they thought they were good they're gonna get and then on every rpo that was called early on McLeod pulled it and and threw it. So clearly the plan was to run the ball. And when they actually did run, it was hugely successful. But I think fans felt, just based on what I was seeing on Twitter, fans felt that the Argos went away from the run. That's not really what happened. It's not that they went away from the run. It's that the passing game was also working extremely well. Like this is a team that was basically getting like seven and a half yards a, a snap. And in the second half, they didn't even have an opportunity to run the ball. They ran 15 offensive plays in the second half because they just weren't on the field because they scored a quick touchdown. And then the defense was out there forever because they kept uh, registering pick sixes. And so they didn't abandon the run game. It's just they didn't have a chance to run any offensive plays. And, you know, great. I guess that that works really well. Yeah, if you can throw, don't run. I mean, that kind of idea that you need a balanced playbook is i think been proven uh completely wrong by anybody who who reads the race about football if you can throw the ball just keep throwing the ball it's much much better than running you do what is working and if both are working you throw so let's get to the second quarter where we have the first points of the game. Ottawa was actually on the board first with a 3 nothing lead. And it just, yeah, it, it felt like one of those bend but don't break drives that we've seen the Argos do all year. Argos get the ball back. And this is where we start seeing some of that A.J. Olette magic. He, he kind of forgot the style of back he was uh, for a period in the second quarter. He bounced one to the outside, which you so rarely see him do. He loves running up the middle. He would, he would happily take on a middle linebacker as opposed to bounce it to the outside and run out of bounds. Uh, he's going for that linebacker for sure. But he cut it out, uh, had some good yardage. And then on the next play, I think he was getting a little carried away. He tries to jump over a Dandridge, but he's just not a back that does that sort of thing. So he jumped and landed before getting to Dandridge. It was the most awkward looking jump I've ever seen. But Olet had a, a huge game, not just not just on the ground. And, and again, what would his numbers have been like had they actually had some some offensive plays, some some actual snaps, but on the ground through the air, this was this was a, a massive game from AJ Olette. He ends up with ten carries for fifty seven yards. That's a nice five point seven yard average, and and no like massive runs in there to to boost those stats. His longest run was eight yards, and then he has five receptions out of the backfield for thirty three yards, including a touchdown. This is the best game I think we've seen AJ Olette play. Yeah, he played uh, you know amazingly. Ottawa did not make him a focus, which I would have, uh, but I was glad Ottawa didn't. And I think he showed if you disrespect him or undervalue him, he is a efficient CFL running back. And given the right circumstances, he can really be 
um, a great compliment to a passing game. You know, I don't think he's a running back star, but he is absolutely maximizing his ability within um, this system. And I think that also, credit to the coaches, I think that they're getting a better sense of what to run for him and when to use him. And that that's all part of it too is, is you know, he isn't just a plug and play. I think that they're discovering the looks that work best for him and, and how to use him, um, you know, strategically uh, to, to take some of the pressure off and not use him the way you would use Harris. The Argos ran into some trouble early in the second quarter. McLeod Bethel Thompson, for the first time all season, was picked off inside the 25-yard line. That's an area that he has been perfect all year. Coming into the game with with 10 touchdowns in the red zone, zero interceptions, he throws his first one. This was sort of a weird play. They, the play was actually perfect for the coverage. They were, Ottawa was playing cover three. You had Coxie running sort of a, a fat corner or out route. Uh, kind of right at the right at the goal line, and Deveris Daniels was was running a seam, and it was designed to split that defender, uh, Abdul Kenna. And what happened was McLeod Bethel Thompson stared down Coxie the whole way, and Coxie did not pick up the ball at all. He didn't see it until until Kenna caught it. So McLeod, that's on him a little bit for well, it's definitely on McLeod. He's, he can't stare down his receiver like that. He had either one of those guys as long as he throws it to the guy he's not staring down. So he stared down Coxie. If he goes off that, throws it to Daniels, he's wide open for the touchdown. If he stared at Daniels, Kenna would have come over there and Coxie would have been wide open for the touchdown. But yeah, Coxie didn't pick it up. So it's a little bit on him too. But that's that's a ball that McLeod Bethel Thompson can't throw. And he's so rarely throws down there now he made up for it with three red zone touchdowns in this game so you know the, the numbers are going to be okay for him in the end but uh that was that was disappointing and then the the Argos didn't have to think about it too long though because you know two plays later uh Carnell uh picks Arbuckle the ball comes out late Carnell jumped that and that was the start of what would be a huge game for Maurice Carnell yeah I've almost come to expect um, uh, or accept, you know, one really bad pick a game from, from McLeod. Uh, I, you know, there are quarterbacks I have followed, you know, in other leagues that did the same thing, that just they had one in their system and they had to kind of get it out of their system and then carry on and it was not indicative of future passes to come or indicative of him not understanding the defense. It's just you know, a, one bad play just the way, like sometimes the receiver drops a ball and they can make it up. So I, yeah, I don't, it, <laughs> it was a bad interception, but not a terrible place for one, to be honest. So like all interceptions are not like some of his arm puns. It wasn't an arm pun, but I, you know, it was okay. I mean, it, it, I thought I was, uh, you know, in retrospect, of course it seems better, but it was okay. I, I don't mind that. Uh, I don't mind that, that interception. And the Carnell pick was funny because pregame, Maurice Carnell said he was going to get two interceptions. And so when he got that first one, I retweeted that that clip that the Argos dropped and said, you know, Maurice Carnell being being prophetic here and and actually following through with the, with the pick that he predicted. But, you know, he did predict two, but I was just kind of going to let that slide. And then he ends up with with a second one later. This defensive backfield is is huge right now because... 
You've got Jamal Peters, who completely shut down Jalen Acklin today. Jalen Acklin had nothing until late in the fourth quarter when Peters came out and then they started playing way, way off uh, all the receivers because, you know, the, the game was over at that point. Jalen Acklin was leading the CFL in receiving yards coming into this coming into this game. And Peters made Arbuckle and Caleb Evans not even want to look in his direction. And I think something like that, while he doesn't show up on the stat sheet tonight, you look at Jamal Peters' game and say, well, you know, where is he? He had four tackles, but we didn't really see him impact any plays. Uh, where was he? Well, that's what he was doing, and that makes it so much easier for the defense. And so you've got all these these picks for other defenders in the defensive secondary. But a lot of that comes from eliminating one side of the field and eliminating the eliminating the one guy that Ottawa wants to go to. Let's get into where things started to heat up a little bit. So uh, there were a couple of drops, like McLeod was on fire early on, and the only he had three incompletions early on. One of them was that pick, but the other ones were, were drop balls. There was a a drop ball to Banks that that really should have been a TD. There was a, a drop ball to Devaris Daniels that should have been a TD. But he does connect on one to AJ Olette. And AJ Olette, we we I, I, we've talked about this before. Everyone forgets what a great receiver he is. He had a really nice push off. And yes, I do I, I I do think push offs are are nice plays when you execute them without a flag. I think receivers need to push off. That's part of the game. But he had it. It was subtle enough not to draw a flag, but physical enough just to create a little bit of separation at the goal line. That's a that's a yeah, beautiful it, receiver like play. It was more like a straight arm than a push off, and uh, you know I. I I didn't think it was very egregious at all because he didn't – where you're more likely to get called is when you have the arm and it straightens and you have all the the force of that. But essentially, he just kind of had his arm already straight and, <laughs> and you know, gave him a bit of a stiff arm to the shoulder. And so you don't get – you're not getting that action from the elbow. I think that's why the refs didn't call it because it wasn't, it wasn't curved to straight. It was just straight and he kind of just – jacked him a little bit and you know i think that that's a perfectly fine play like that's just two guys fighting for the ball yeah it almost looked like he was actually just sort of feeling to see where yeah where the defender and, was and even in the replay like there isn't a pushback like it's not like you know i think it's you know it's fine it, that that that's not that's not a, the kind of oh well, if it was so egregious it would have challenged it and i don't think it would have been called back no, it wouldn't have. And, and Lapolis is not afraid to throw the challenge flag. No, he right. he has no more challenges left by like the end of the first quarter most games. So that is, uh, you no, know. No, I thought that was I thought it was kind of bush. People were making a big deal of it. That was not that was nothing. And it was a really nice play from Bethel Thompson too, because he had to really extend that play. He bought as much time as he possibly could. He was fading away and fading away and fading away. And then the last possible moment, right before he got hit, he let that ball go, and it's a perfect pass to let. Uh, but yeah, beautiful, beautiful play. Nice two-point uh, convert. Uh, Daniel's making a, a diving catch that I wasn't sure initially was a catch, but you look on the replay, it, it definitely was. Argos are up 8-3 to three at that point. Uh, the, the Red Blacks had another field goal on just a drive that had nothing interesting at all going on. And I, I think the Argos did add their own field goal, but this was the first time that I was reminded of the fact that McLeod Bethel-Thompson was holding. And on a night where almost every... Argo had a terrific game. Boris Beattie really did not. And I wonder, 
how much of that had to do with the fact that Boris Beattie was doing double duty for the first time this season and also had McLeod Bethel-Thompson as a holder for the first time this season. Now, he was his guy last year, but not this year. How much do you think that might have played into Beattie having a little bit of a rough night for him? I, I would probably lean more towards the punting, uh, although he didn't punt very much. Um, you know, he, he, he has not been elite statistically, you know, in terms of, kicking so uh, you know he he missed a point after and then he missed a long one that ended up being okay so it's hard for me to you know I, th- I think this is kind of what he's been this year is he's been good not great um but if you know we're gonna miss i i've where i've been happy is generally speaking he's made the kicks that we really needed and if you're gonna miss kicks in a game like this uh I'm, you know, I, I I won't worry about it too much. On the ensuing Ottawa drive, there's a play I want to talk about. So it's 11-6 Argos, Ottawa's driving, and Winton McManus has what seems to be a huge sack. And we saw this a couple weeks ago in Ottawa. Lapolis challenged it, and you look at the slow motion replay, and there's helmet contact, and suddenly that's not a sack. It's it's a roughing the passer penalty, and it happened again today. And I thought this one was was even worse than the last one. Yeah, it was t- terrible. You, I am a huge supporter of player safety. I am very much uh, a critic of the CFL's concussion policies and attitudes about concussions in general held in sports media and and in the league. But you have to be able to distinguish between uh, incidental head contact, which is two helmets touching each other because they're large circular things on your head, and head contact. You know, there was no head-to-head contact. There was no head as the primary target of force this was simply a quarterback who ducked down against a taller person and in the midst of a tackle by three people, the helmets kind of clink together at the top. That can't be the same as a head-to-head contact or, or a shot to the head or a forearm to the head or any of those things. I mean, what was he supposed to do? Like, how is he supposed to tackle a guy who is bending over? And lowering his head. And, you know, other than, like, you want him to tear his knee out? Like, that could be, you know, we've seen that in Ottawa. People didn't like it very much. But we could go back to that if the league yeah, And obviously prefer. you're being facetious. Like, that's not the answer. But, well, but that's, I mean, from like, a, from a defensive point do? of view, like, you want me to hit him as hard as I can in his upper thigh? Like, I can't imagine that's something you're interested in as a league. I'm all for taking headshots. You just, the, the, the rule has to be um, nuanced enough that incidental head contact, especially when you're watching on video, that you can say, no, that was it. We're going to rule that incidental head contact. That's not forcible contact to the head. Um, because if it was forcible contact to the head, CFL, then he should have, by all rules, been taken out of the game and given a neurological test for a concussion. Because forcible contact of the head is, in fact, the definition of a concussion. Right. And clearly that was not a forcible so issue. What is so it? there's right. got to be something. Right. If it's forcible and it's a flag, then he comes out of the game and he goes and sees a doctor. You can't have both. 
And that clearly was not uh, like the, no, I don't think Arbuckle would even have felt the contact no. to his helmet on that one. But yet it's treated the same as if he'd come in there uh, flying at him. Uh, nah, it's just an so. outrageous bailout call and an easy performative thing for the CFL to do because they're saying, oh, look, we're about head safety. And it's like, no, that's just that's not what that was. So, you know, that was yeah, that was disappointing because I love seeing McManus get a sack um, God knows a lot of reporters need those kind of statistics and he's building a case for, for some trophies. And, you know, I'd, I'd hope that'd be a sack there, but you know, say la vie. A couple of plays later, Deshaun Amos bailed the Argos out with a pick and it was yet another one of these, these all, all three picks early on were the result of quarterbacks staring down their primary receiver on the play, just watching them from start to finish. And this was just so easy. Deshaun Amos seeing it the whole way, just steps in front of it, much like Maurice Carnell did, and much like Abdul Kennedy did with the McLeod Beltha Thompson pick. And and then like two seconds later, the Argos are in the end zone. There's a huge play to Devaris Daniels, who somehow keeps his feet while getting uh, hit pretty hard over the middle. That ends up being a 50-yard play. And then McLeod Bethel-Thompson buys himself some time. There's great protection from the offensive line. And he finds Curly Gittins Jr. for a 21-yard touchdown. So it's 18-6 Argos at that point. And, and we're about to go into the half. But then we get into this weird kneel-down, timeout-wasting issue for the Ottawa Red Blacks if not enough was going wrong for Ottawa. What did you make of those, those <laughs> final seconds of that first half? Well, I mean, just... I mean, I'm just glad it wasn't the Argos. I mean, that looked like a bit of a clown show. Um, They were um, driving, and then (laughs) the the sideline waited until the clock got to double zeros to take a timeout, and then they finally got the timeout, but then Arbuckle was clearly signaling to them, why are you calling a timeout? It's double zeros. What am I supposed to do here? Throw the ball 75 yards. That's not something I do. Yeah, it was it was it was not a textbook uh, use of of clock. And and as you and I talked about in the CFL, it's not one of those like, well, you can't take them with you. You can take that timeout with you, and you probably should. Uh, not that it ended up mattering, but it, I wouldn't say like it fills the locker room with confidence when you kind of spill a drink all over yourself at the end of the half. No, that's and that's exactly what was happening. And you look at those first half numbers, McLeod Bethel Thompson, 17 for 23, three of those being drops, three of those misses being drops. Oh, uh, my God, the banks drop. Oh, it was painful. Brutal. That was a painful one. That brutal. was a touchdown. Brutal. What a throw. God, it was such a gorgeous, gorgeous throw. I mean, he got to do it again later, but... Yeah, but yeah, 17 for 23, 194 yards, two touchdowns and interception. And you're thinking that McLeod's on pace for like a 400-yard game, but he only got to throw six passes in the second half (laughs) because he just wasn't on the field. So it turned out to be statistically, you know, you look at McLeod Bethel-Thompson's stats, they're fine, but it doesn't look like a game in which he was dominant, and yet he was dominant today. This, Even though he had an interception in the books, I think this might have been his best game of the year. It's just hard to kind of compare it because he only really played for a half. Yeah, just like Ottawa. <laughs> right. I don't even know if they played for a half. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not entirely sure the second half was televised. 
know. And Arbuckle, at the, the end of the first half, he was 12 of 18 for 109 yards, two interceptions. And yeah, we, we did not think Arbuckle would be coming out for the third quarter. And he didn't. It's Caleb Evans in. And, and the same result. It was almost worse, actually. Caleb Evans oh, came out yeah, he, throwing at the ground like he really did not plan on being in there. Oh, that's what I was going to say. Sometimes you watch football and the backup is like the understudy and ready to be a star. And sometimes the backup is the substitute teacher who's like, what? Who? Me? Uh, I am not ready to go in. Uh, so that was definitely you. You get one of those two, and I would say he was Caleb Evans looked a little more like uh, looked like a guy who uh, you know didn't expect to throw on two days rest. No, well, they took a Arbuckle because he threw two picks. Evans came in and threw three picks. <laughs> no, he so. didn't. He didn't know what he was doing, and so the you know he he I he definitely was not whispering in the coach's ear. Coach, I'm ready. Well, I, I think it's I think too where Arbuckle hasn't been with the team all season. I'm sure he's been getting not only just the majority of the reps because the starter does get the majority of the practice reps, but probably even more so this week because they're still familiarizing himself with everything. They're trying to install more than usual because it's a bye week and you're coming back against the exact same team, so you want to have some <laughs> stuff look different. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not sure that's the memo that they got. Well, yeah, I know it, it, the, the defenses <laughs> certainly didn't look, look like, like they installed this. more than usual or anything. Yeah, it looked well, like... let's not forget it was still a game midway through the third. Like it's still it's it's eighteen to six. Didn't feel at, at it, that though. point. It didn't. But but what was happening there could have swung. Remember, McLeod Bethel Thompson was sacked for the second time pretty early in the third, and that really could have gone the other way. Olette recovered the fumble somehow. I don't know how. Yes. I want to talk about the two sacks that the line Oof. allowed today on Bethel Thompson. Both were, both were pretty hard hits, and I think both were really tough plays to defend. I actually felt like the O-line played really well today. Those two misses. So the first sack, what happened was kind of a weird formation from Ottawa. So it's technically going to be on Philip Blake. He was playing left tackle, but they had three players lined up to Philip Blake's outside, uh, one of them being uh, Avery Williams. And Williams was the widest of the three guys. And so Blake has to prepare. He does, He knows not. He knows they're not going to send all three guys. He knows that's not going to happen, but he knows that one of them is definitely coming to the outside, but he can't assume it's going to be Williams because if he does, he's going to get beat badly inside. And he has no help on that play. There's no running back help, no chip, um, because they were doing that on the other side with, with Malden. And so it, it is Williams that comes. Blake can't get out to him in time, and he has a clean shot on MBT. And then with the second one, it was a miscommunication. It was Malden, and again, it was an overload. This time, Dejon Allen's got the overload. He had to take the inside guy and leave the outside guy for the back. That was just the protection that had been dialed up. And Olet has to know there, he, he had play action, and Olet has to break out of that play action and get a piece of, of Malden, which nobody wants any part of. Malden did not buy the play action. No, of course not. But that's got to be Olet not running the play action. He can't, he's got to see that and say, okay, in this production, I've got, okay, I've got Malden. Like, I can't carry out this play action. I better get over there. Yeah, he's got to identify Malden as wide. Yeah, yeah, and that it didn't. He didn't get there in time. He knew it was his guy, but, but by the time he finished his play his action, credit, Bethel Thompson was down. 
he did get the ball. Yeah. And that is very true because as as an old O-lineman, uh, an old O-lineman coach uh, tale goes, nine times out of ten, the O-lineman that comes up with the ball is the one who's responsible. So uh, <laughs> yeah. I think that I think that kicked in there. Yeah, Olette was doing everything he could to yeah. get that ball back. And I want to highlight something at this point. I know this is going to enrage you because your one thing this week was having good punt return yardage uh, for the Argos and having a better punt return uh, stat than the Ottawa Red Blacks. Well, we were, we were we were hoping to achieve league average. Yes, and that did not happen today. Uh, but it was interesting to see the difference because we've talked about the blocking being the issue. Devontae Devman is a great returner, but it's not about him. You watch how well that Ottawa Red Blacks team protects. It's not, it, it doesn't, because it, it happens when he's not back there. It happened when he was, when he was down in the NFL. They were still returning extremely well because their punt return team is excellent. They have so much time back there. And early on, BD was doing a great job sort of kicking very tactically, finding spaces, making Deadman run a mile to go get that punt. And the coverage team was getting down there well. And so Ottawa uh, played a little switcheroo in the third quarter, bringing Deadman up short and then having a deep returner. And that kind of forced Toronto to kick it away. And Toronto got into trouble immediately when they did that and initiated a, a huge return. It wasn't from Deadman because it doesn't have to be. It's not about Deadman. Again, he's he's a great returner. I'm not saying there's not value in that. There is. But if you have got great blocking, a lot of great athletes can produce a great punt return. And and that set up another another Ottawa field goal. It was a nine-point game at that point, 18 to 9, midway through the third quarter. It's still a game. And then Boris Beattie misses a 50-yard field goal. It really could have gone south there with Ottawa having the ball, trailing by nine. Maybe they turn this into something. But then we get a huge special teams play. Jack Kassar gets down the field, forces a fumble from Devontae Demon, actually pulls it out of his arms, recovers it himself, and now Toronto's set up first and goal. Uh, and and it was, it, yeah, it was a, a steamroller from from then on. Yeah, I mean, you know, not to uh, pat ourselves on the back here, but we obviously have been talking about uh, Kassar for a long time on here. Uh, we were very excited by the drafting of him. Um, we, you know, he, he had some injury issues, but we both felt that the 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 progression of, you know, being a depth guy to being a special teamer to being a special team star to being a starter was well on its way. And I think that's what you're seeing for sure. He's now in that middle part where he's a special team a special team star. And I, I think every game he more and more is becoming the dominant special team player uh, moving past to uh, Haggerty and Hoyt. Yeah, oh, for sure. And what was nice to see today is that special teams players so rarely get noticed on the broadcast coverage. It's something that the broadcast doesn't doesn't pick up. You do a great job as a gunner. You're not really get. You're not in the highlight package. You know that's not something that that gets played again and again on TSN. But when you do force a fumble, recover a fumble, that does get played. And it was great to see Kassar tonight getting getting some FaceTime on uh, on TV and, uh, you know, well, really uh, getting rewarded for his efforts. And it was fantastic, right? He just, you look at a guy who, who's clearly been in the gym and works out, and that's important to him, and it pays off because he just physically took the ball away from him like a little boy. <laughs> 
right? The guy's throwing the ball. He's like, no, I'm just going to keep this here, Dimon. You, that'll that'll be all for today. Chad Kelly sneaks it in, or it wasn't really a sneak. It was a run around the edge, which he does really well. Uh, he he took an unnecessary hit there. It was so much space. He could have just like walked into the end zone. I don't know why he went so wide. I think he probably <laughs> felt like wanted to get a little little mud on the jersey. Little little, you know, it's true. Could have gone badly. That's that was my take. He definitely wanted to kind of, you know, take a bit of a hit and uh, feel like you're part of the team. Feel like you're out there. He definitely did a nice job of avoiding flying Ottawa players. Yeah, he did. and But he ended up on his backside in the end zone. But yeah, that's sometimes that, that makes you feel a bit more part of the game. And it was it was a nice play. They stacked. They had they had well, both A-gaps accounted for. And taking it wide was the right move. And, and he got a touchdown for it. And that was more of a late hit than the sideline late hit that was called on the Argos. You know, I felt like that's a late hit. That's a thousand percent a cheap shot. He's in the end zone when he hits them. Yeah. And they was, almost never call that. But yet... Deadman's tiptoeing around the sidelines and he's already shown that he is a master at getting out from tackles and he gets pushed to the ground and they throw a flag. That stuff drives me bonkers. I didn't think the officiating was bad today per se, but no, I no. think it did expose some it did expose some issues with rules and I think this was a crew that seemed to have received a pep talk pregame about not letting this game get out of hand or get chippy. Which I put on the schedule makers because, again, this is like I was talking to to people online in my DMs in the first quarter when it was when it was zero zero at the end of the first quarter, how much it looked like these defenses had seen these offenses before because of course they had two weeks ago and then there's a bye week in between so there's there's really no time to change too much, but all this the chippiness the all the things you could get rid of by not having so many back-to-backs and this weird back-to-back in the same stadium they they really have to think more carefully about schedule making next year this is a uh, this is a rant that's sort of a, a tangent it doesn't need to happen now but uh, it's just another thing i'm angry about with this terrible schedule that the argos have this year yeah i would assume that this would be the last of the pandemic influence schedules yeah, I guess that's their justification for it and the limited travel. Uh, I get that, but yeah, man, this was so, just a weird schedule, and and it didn't make <laughs> it didn't make for a very good opening quarter. So it's twenty five nine going into the fourth. It felt over at that point. Like you could see it in the you could see it in the in the Ottawa players. There was just no there was no fire in them. You knew they weren't coming back. And we've seen stranger things in the CFL certainly. But there was nothing demonstrated by the body language of anyone in that entire stadium tonight that made it seem like Ottawa had a chance in that fourth quarter. And it turned out they did not. That fourth quarter starts with a McLeod Bethel Thompson rocket to Ambles from 25 yards out for a touchdown. That was a gorgeous pass and catch too. That was that was as nice as, as the Banks one that, that Banks couldn't hang on to. Uh, he just duplicated it. Same yeah. route, same and, look. And the Gittins Jr., Oh yeah, yeah, that was nice too. Yeah. He, he was, no, he he was, was just on the money was, today. He was he was firing tonight. He had some he had some really nice throws, um, lots of power, nice touch. Just had the one really bad throw and but everything else, you know, he had percentage above seventy. Yeah. I mean and, he just went out there and uh did what you and I have been saying all season, which is be one of the top three, if not top two quarterbacks in the league just seems to be hard to convince uh, anybody else besides us to uh, to accept what seems to be an objectively true fact. And after that touchdown pass, Toronto's offense would go and sit on the bench 
for 27 of the next 29 plays, I believe, because it was pick six after pick six. This is where the, the show really got going. So Carnell had his second pick of the game, his prophecy coming true. Uh, it's now 38 to nine. There was a missed extra point somewhere in that mix too. And then Chris Edwards has a pick six and that one was weird. It went off three different Argos defenders. It just, that was not the guy to throw to. If it bounces off three different Argos defenders uh, on the way to the receiver, there's there's something wrong there. Chris Edwards is the one that picks it off. But it, yeah, it was, I don't remember who got a piece of it first. And then uh, did, did it bounce to McFadden and then to Edwards? And Edwards, we know what he's like with the ball in his hands, being a former punt returner. He took it all the way. So now it's it's 45-9 at that point. And there was still like half a quarter to play. And it just kind of felt, it sort of felt awkward at that point. I just wanted everyone to get off the field. And I was thinking, we're going to see, we're actually going to get to see Chad Kelly again, which everyone's been asking for. And I know they haven't put him in the game with two minutes left, but those have been in games where it's, it's you know, 15-point lead, 17-point lead. Here we had a 45-9 score. And so you knew it was going to be Chad Kelly time. What did you think of Chad Kelly's second go at real playing time since the BC game? Yeah, I mean, it was exciting and it ended in a turnover, which is what I think we both believe would be the recipe for most of Chad Kelly's possessions if he were the starting quarterback. It would not be boring and it would not be successful. Uh, So I think both came came to play on that play. And the only frustrating thing is I wanted the game to end and he took almost no time off the clock. He, he ran one play. I know. And turned the ball over. I know. I was like, come on, just any, that was, you know, so yeah, I think that was, that was what I expect from the backup quarterback. And just for new listeners, we're not down on Chad Kelly. If you, if you haven't heard us talk about the quarterbacks before, we both like Chad Kelly. I, I think, I think Chad Kelly has the potential to be one of the best quarterbacks in the CFL, but he's a rookie and there is a serious, serious learning curve in your first year in the CFL. It is almost impossible to come from the States where he's played in not only his whole life and all of you know high school and college uh, and the NFL as well. It's It's been years of playing in that style and system and adding an extra defender and adding the extra distance in the field. It takes you at least a year. Everybody takes at least a year. So we're not saying Chad Kelly's not going to be a great quarterback. I actually think he will be. I have a lot of faith in Chad Kelly. I've been following Chad Kelly since since he won a punt pass kick contest as a, as a teenager. Uh, I've been looking for Chad Kelly news. And so I am a fan of his game. But like JB says, not this year. Not this year. And you no. saw exactly yeah, what we're like, talking about. And like I said, he was exciting. I'm no, I will not deny making him the starting quarterback would be exciting. And unsuccessful. So yeah, let's you know it was good. Everybody got to laugh on the sidelines and high five each other, and and you know carry on with the business. Yeah, it it uh, it was fortunate, obviously that that the game wasn't on the line at that point. It makes it a lot easier to come to the sidelines after turning over the ball when it's when it's a uh, what was the score difference at that point? It was like a thirty six point game, I think, at that at that stage. Uh, and then Ottawa puts together a garbage time touchdown drive to bring it within 30. Um, they don't succeed on the extra point. Chad Kelly comes out for another series, and this one goes a little bit more conservatively. So it's an out of a boy run. Chad Kelly runs for a little bit, 
And then that was basically the end of the game. Ottawa jumps offside because I just think they wanted the game to end also. And, uh, and, and that was it. But it's, it's awesome for the Argos to clinch a playoff spot with five games remaining. Gives you all sorts of flexibility. Now, you definitely want to finish first in the East. There's no question about that. But what a wonderful position it is because they now they, there's a different kind of stress on you at this point. Five games, you don't turn it all off. But now when you've got a, an injury decision you're not so sure about, you rest the guy. You've got something you're not sure you want to put in, you don't put it in yet. It's, it gives you a, a much easier job as a coaching staff, uh, knowing how to manage these last five games. Yeah, really, the, the only two that matter are the two Montreal games uh, that are really going to, you know, that are really going to be um, significant. So it's, it's, they're in, they are in the driver's seat. I would imagine that their trip home tonight uh, will be successful. And I would hope that there is no practice or anything tomorrow. Uh, Cause I would imagine that they are uh, feeling good. Yeah, they'll have they'll have a rest day tomorrow. It'll be film and everything Monday, and then back to practice Tuesday and preparing for the the trip to Calgary. Uh, which yeah, we'll we'll see we'll see how that goes. Again, there's there's no hotter team right now. The Argos are on a four game win streak, and they're they're playing out of their minds. Uh, and this I I know they mentioned on the broadcast. This is the first four game win streak of McLeod Bethel Thompson's career because he hasn't had this kind of consistency ever before in his career. He's obviously playing his best football, uh, but he was such an up and down quarterback. Even even last year when uh, he actually won quite a number of games, he still had a few games in there that were like, what, what's happening here? What, what happened today? JB, let's go through our awards for the game, our players of the game, our plays of the game. Uh, let's, let's, start on the, let's start on the offensive side of the ball. So who's your offensive player of the game today? There's quite a few to choose from. No one player, I guess, ran away with it? No, it was, again, a very balanced um, demonstration. Um, Devaris Daniels had a great statistical night, uh, 100 yards, 5 for 6. Uh, it was one of, kind of a weird night where he didn't feel like any of the catches were that huge, but you can't look. 100 yards, 100 yards. So I thought he played really well. He caught the two-point conversion. Um, he, he was there for it, but I, I think I have to go with McLeod. Uh, his first half was very good. His second half, he didn't get to play that much. His touchdown throws were fantastic. You know, one was, one was really beautiful touch. Um, I thought that the you know the 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 corner throw or the out there was another beautiful touch throw, and then he threw some rockets right down the middle. So uh, to me, it was McLeod. It, you know, looked like one team had a CFL quarterback tonight and one team didn't. And uh, so for me, that's enough to give him offensive player. Yeah, one mistake tonight, and then about fifteen beautiful throws. So I, I think I think he definitely earned that. I'll take it in a different direction. I'm going to go with AJ Olette because while he doesn't necessarily fly off the stat sheet either, you know he he did all right. Ten carries for 57 yards, 5.7 average is great. Uh, he had the touchdown reception, five catches for 33 yards. But what his successful running allowed the Argos to do was pass. The Red Blacks were forced to stack the box, and in zones, he really forced the Flats defender to play true to the Flats because they didn't want to give up all these passes to the to the Flats that he kept converting. And so that left more space in behind, and the Argos were able to take advantage of that. So 
AJ Olette's stats are, they're good, but it's the other stuff that really shows the impact he had in this game. Ottawa had to account for him, and that led to a lot of success downfield for McLeod Bethel-Thompson. So that's why I'm giving AJ Olette the offensive player of the game. Yeah, definitely. I mean, his statistics are really in line with Harris. Uh, Harris was not putting up 100-yard games. You know, Harris got lots and lots of carries, um, but really was not running the ball more than about 50 yards a game. So he's right in line. I think his his profile is being raised around the league, and teams are really impressed with his kind of fullback quality when it comes to taking contact and delivering contact. And he's got a decent first step. Uh, you know, I've, he, he definitely is becoming a name um, in the league that, that people are, are calling out on, on broadcasts and it's great to see it's great to see him being given this opportunity and taking it I wonder if he will be the lead back next season because <laughs> I think it's going to be a Maybe. debate but the thing with him is that he does everything well and we talked about this before too but there's not one thing that he's like just elite at where everybody looks and says wow who is that guy but he does everything well and he doesn't make a lot of mistakes. He had one pass protection breakdown today, but that's not like him either. Yeah, we talked about it. Like, look, he's thunder. If you can find lightning to go with him, I think you really have something. Yeah, I, I don't see why he can't be a, a go-to guy. Uh, but I agree. I think there needs to be there needs to be a change of pace in there. Uh, and, you know, maybe we'll see a little bit more from Adebayo next year. As a rookie, they're not giving him a ton of carries. He's, he's getting on the field a lot in special teams. And he's been really impressive in the time that he's been out there. Absolutely. But I think next year we'll see a little bit more of him mixed in. And maybe it'll be those two guys. And maybe they will have that production uh, that, that we're looking for from uh, the Argos running game next season. But we had a lot to go before we get to next season. Uh, let's go with defensive player of the game. JB, who's your defensive pick? Well, I have to go Carnell. I mean, you know, I know not to be a, a stat chaser, but uh, to predict two picks and to get two picks and one of them being a pick six, I mean, come on, you got to, you have to give that out to Carnell. I think he's really improved. He's really become um, a legitimate starter and a legitimate um weapon on the secondary and tonight was where he showed like he he can be dangerous and when you have like that's just not normal to be honest you know like usually guys play secondary because they're not good enough with their hands to play wide receiver and to have a whole secondary who are all ball hawks is not a normal thing so it's fantastic and you know who comes back next week yeah. or is eligible to is Shaq Richardson. And then we've got uh, Priester, I think, is healthy and ready to come no, back it's, too. Yeah. So it's terrific. I mean, I, you just you just couldn't be happier to be able to have that kind of depth that you can roll in. I think something that helped today with all these picks that we saw and certainly helped on the second Carnell pick, the, the pick six, was the Argos sent a ton of pressure, which we know they don't typically. And, and Ottawa was not expecting that. Part of this is to do, and, and this is something that I, I want to talk about for a second, because I think this was a huge part of the game that didn't get addressed at all in the broadcast. Ottawa was starting a rookie center tonight. Their center was injured, and so Cyril uh, Hogan-Sendon was in. He's a rookie second-round pick. And a, a good player. He played at Laval, was was great U-sports player. But it is such a jump up in level. And Toronto was so lucky last season to have Peter Nicastro where it didn't look like it was that big a deal. But even Nicastro, 
who was a first round pick and played so well that he was an all-star. Even he had issues early on in his first couple of games. Remember, Philip Blake was having to play center for a while because Nicastro didn't quite have that down. And to throw Hogan Sandon into this game, going up against Oakman, and and then even when even when Oakman comes off the field, then then you've got more to contend with. You've got you've got Ray twisting to the inside and Jagarrett Davis lined up on the inside against him. I think that was huge. And then sending all that pressure was just so overwhelming for that Ottawa line. It led to the quarterbacks really throwing quickly, throwing without making decisions. It certainly happened to Arbuckle in the first half. I think that's why he was pulled, is that he looked so uncomfortable back there. But then Evans came in, in the second half. He's throwing off his back foot. He's uh, just under siege uh, from the moment he gets the ball in his hands. And uh, and that led to a lot of these picks, just sending that pressure. The DBs, like you can talk about this as, as a defensive back coach, the... the when you know pressure's getting through as a DB, it's it's a huge advantage because you have a kind of a finite clock in your head. Yeah, well, you you don't you're not worried about double moves. You know, you're you're sitting on stuff. If you're in zone, you're just ball hawking, right? You're not even worried. You're just straight up staring at the quarterback because you know here we go one two three balls coming. Um, so yeah, it's it's a terrific advantage. Um, from a defensive back point of view and the, you know, you look with the addition at the D line, the, there's a real six, seven man rotation now. And that's fantastic. You can rotate new guys in, new guys in, new guys in. Um, you can really chew up some offensive lines. If you can roll, if you can roll that many guys and keep them that fresh. For my defensive player of the game, I'm going with Winton McManus. He was robbed of a sack he had an interception. He had five tackles, which was two behind the leader, Royce Mechie. And uh, again, was sensational. You and I have been saying that he is an all-star this season. He's one of the best players in the CFL. And we've been saying for a few weeks now, maybe he is the best defensive player in the CFL. It was really nice to hear other media pick that up today and have TSN actually talking about how he might be the best defensive player in the CFL this season. I, I, I think he is. Well, he certainly is in the East. I think I think it's it's without without question in the East. And then at West, I mean, to be honest, I haven't watched as many West games, um, but certainly the ones I've watched, nobody has jumped out not even our guy cam judge um so who who is actually having a, a good season oh but god. not like this it's the not worst. the same oh my god i never if i could never watch that guy play again i'll be happy but he's if we only had the cam judge that's happening this year in toronto last season it would have been very different but he was just injured from the get-go he's never able to never able to put it together here but yeah he's been one of the best defensive players in the west this year no but yeah i no, have I think watched McManus has been he he's the you know he's the leader of the defense, and the defense's um, aggression, but also smarts, uh, come from him. You know that he it 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 is adopting his identity, and uh, you know he he absolutely is a, a game wrecker out there. And he contributes in every way. He can rush the he can rush the passer when called upon. He can drop into coverage really effectively. Takes away the run game, and he's got really good hands. So, all that combined, you know, to to be able to generate the picks that he does, to be able to to make the plays he does, to collect the sacks that he does, to uh, to take 
running backs away uh, in coverage and it shut down the run game. Uh, he's all over the field. So just another night where uh, he was being himself and was outstanding. So he's my player of the game. Uh, what about play of the game? This is tough because there's so many highlight plays this week. I, I'm forgetting them all, I'm sure. We probably missed a few that we didn't even talk about. What was your play of the game? Um, uh, for me, the play of the game was the Cornell pick. The first one um, when, you know, Ottawa got the ball back and they got the pick and they're feeling it and to immediately give it right back and then that to be almost immediately turned into a touchdown. And it just felt like it was over. For, for me watching, it just felt like Toronto was in charge. Toronto's moving the ball. They just had been a bit unlucky. And Ottawa was not moving the ball particularly well. And I just felt from that point forward, um, you know, it just t- took all the took all the steam out of Ottawa. And it was such a great moment where the defense picked up McLeod. And then McLeod and the offense responded to that pickup by banging it in for a touchdown. And that's that's the kind of team football that wins championships. For me, I am going to go special teams, which I so rarely do. It's that Jack Kassar fumble and force fumble and recovery. 18 to 9 score at that point. Argos missing a field goal, uh, giving the ball away. That was a real change because, like I said in our recap, that's a nine point game and you're giving Ottawa the ball. And now suddenly you've got the ball back and and you're you're pounding it in uh, for a touchdown. So to me, that's that's the play of the game because it swung there because a couple of seconds after that play. Now it's twenty five nine. And a few minutes later, it's thirty one nine and then thirty eight nine, forty five nine. That was an absolute pivotal moment. So and again, we're no, no not any shortage of plays of the game today. Uh, what a game. Uh, the, the, the Argos uh, have absolutely set themselves up. They don't have a ton of distance between themselves and Montreal still because, of course, Montreal won yesterday. But they still do have two games of room. Uh, they're now eight and five, two games up on the six and seven Montreal Alouettes. And now they can turn their attention to Calgary, who is, is playing as we record this. They travel to Calgary uh, for a Saturday 7 p.m. Uh, Eastern Time matchup. Uh, this is going to be a pretty uh, exciting game, I think, because they played tight last time. And we've talked a lot about all the different Calgary-Toronto ties. Depending on what happens tonight with Calgary and BC, Calgary could be in a really interesting situation. Not, there's no such thing as a, a must-win game for them at this stage. I don't think that's really going to come up. But they need everyone they can get and they're going to need everyone they can get for the remainder of the season so you're going to get Calgary's best effort this is going to be a really nice test for the Argonauts who have now won four in a row who are feeling really good about themselves today do they go into Calgary and make a game of this or do they drop the ball and and I don't know we'll have to go through what we expect um, from the Argos this week but five in a row with a win over Calgary I think would Probably shut a lot of people up uh, who have been talking about, yes, Toronto's first in the East, but it's the East. That will just about do it for us on this edition of the X's and Argos podcast. If you haven't done so already, please rate, review, subscribe, subscribe to us on YouTube, tell your friends about us, get every Argos fan you know listening to the X's and Argos podcast. For JB, this is Ben Grant saying so long and may all your pre-snap reads be good ones. I'll see ya. Fight the foe, foe.